what's new and happening from leaders in the community. Learn the ins and outs of advocacy, events, and activations. Get involved, make an impact, and do something that adds value in your life. AHF is the world's largest HIV AIDS service organization operating in 45 countries globally, 16 states domestically, including DC and Puerto Rico. Our mission is to provide cutting edge medicine and advocacy regardless of ability to pay. Hello, and welcome to the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hogan, serving as your liaison to take you on a journey to learn more about AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Our topic for today is learn, lead, act. Before we start the show, please make sure to remember to check out the show notes so you can follow along. Now, let's get started. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the After Hours Podcast. This is a very unique and special episode, to say the least. Um, We're focusing on youth advocacy today, and we actually have some of our AHF employees' kids here to speak from their perspective of how they feel about advocacy and kind of what you guys are experiencing in your everyday lives. So welcome, Andrew and Sasha, to the show. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So first and foremost, Andrew, let us know how old you are and um, what school you go to and what year you're in. Uh, Well, my name is Andrew. I am 17, almost 18, and I go to McKinley Technology High School uh, that is in D.C., Washington, D.C. And my father is an advocate, and that's what he does for a living. And Sasha, what about you? Um, I'm 18. I'm actually going to college next year. I'm going to Ohio University to um, study early childhood education. I'm very excited. And... um, my mom has been working with um, advocacy like my entire childhood, so I'm very excited to be able to talk about it today. So because both of your parents are in advocacy, obviously, you guys have been involved in it pretty much your whole life. So what is the first time you remember doing something that was advocacy-driven, and at what age? Um, so I remember um, I was like six years old. It was my first Pride Parade. And so I, it was, like, really cool to, like, be there that young and, like, to see how, like, much it means to people and, like, going, like, being in the parade and being on the flow and then going to it afterwards and, like, just being there was, like, a really cool experience that I will definitely remember, like, like for a lifetime. Wow. Um, as for me and my dad, I, I currently moved in with my dad. Um, and um, I went to, a, it was an AIDS health, uh, healthcare walk. I think it was, like, a like an event that was going on to walk. And I was, I definitely saw a different, um, different people that I was not used to at the time because I used to be living in a different space. And I thought it was interesting. At first I was kind of afraid because I was, I, I felt like I did not fit in, but eventually I kind of eased into things and I felt much more comfortable. And I actually really liked being around that kind of space. Hmm. So you mentioned fitting in. So from you guys' perspectives, like I said, you guys are the youth at this point. Um, what does fitting in mean to you? Andrew, you mentioned it, so go ahead. Uh, fitting in is something. Is basically making people happy. Um, obviously, you can't do that all the time because people will disagree with you on specific things, and that's what majorly makes you able to fit in with what other people want to think. And Sometimes you just kind of have to adjust to the specific things that people like and don't like. Um, but sometimes it is difficult, especially when things are not quite right. And, you know, sometimes people have, have their specific views, but those specific views might be kind of incorrect and unjust to a specific group of people. And that ha- happens quite often. And sometimes you got to 
kind of, you know, advocate for the fact that, you know, you got to make sure to remind people that what they're saying is wrong. Sasha, what do you think? So um, for me, like recently, I've just kind of stopped trying to like fit in. I've just tried to like fit into my perspective and like what I think is right and like my mindset. So like if someone doesn't like me for what I'm wearing or who I am, that's their own problem. So I just I want to be who I want to be and what's right for me. I think it's beautiful that you guys have so much confidence. You know, the world can be a mean place. So I think that's beautiful what you guys said. Um, so what are the three most important advocacy issues you think our leaders should be addressing right now? And that can be anything from A to Z. Um, for me, I definitely think, well, I'll just go in order, um, reproductive rights and health, um, racism and um, climate change and like like climate control and stuff like that. I think those are the three most important things that are definitely affecting us and the youth, like with climate control, like and climate change, that's like our world that we're living in. And if it goes down, then we're like stuck and like screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Just to add on to that, um, you know, I agree with the uh, racial uh, factor of it because, you know, that kind of goes into things like jobs, also as well as medicine, because specific groups are kind of, you know, uh, marginalized and put into a spot that they're not able to gain the things that they actually need. And for that reason, you know, populations suffer because of that. So what should those of us who do advocacy for a living do to get more young people at your age involved in important advocacy issues that you just mentioned? I would personally say that, you know, advocacy, it depends on who you ask or what it is. It, you know, some, one person might have a different view on it, but it's really important to kind of do things so that children kind of have an incentive to do that. Uh, kind of, you know, make sure to put it in a terms that it can be quite understandable to them, but in a way kind of, you know, enjoyable and that they feel that they have accomplished something. Um, you know, that can be something as simple as going out for like a protest. You know, so that's one of the most simple things you can do. And, you know, just starting them early is quite important because, you know, that way they build a kind of like a that feel of accomplishment and feel like they're doing something that can affect the other people around them. I also feel like social media is a big um, way to reach out just because so many people use it. And it's a great way to reach out to people all across the country and world even. So I feel like that's a great way to, like, get things out and even like talking it like not making them feel like stupid. So like using smaller words was like really helpful for me. Like when I was like on social media and like, like simple terms was really helpful for me. So at this point in time, you're 18, you're 17, correct? So you guys have kind of lived in a world where there's just been like constant, you know, turmoil or there's like racism going on. You know, the summer of 2020 was crazy with George Floyd climate change and protecting the environment. There's so many different things happening within the short span of you guys' lives at this point. How do you guys feel day to day? It's very stressful because like, I know one day I do want to have children like that and I want to be a teacher and I want to work with those children and I'm worried about their future and what it's going to look like. Like, that's very scary. Like, I want my kids to grow up how like how I grew up and I like I always thought I was safe I didn't have to worry about certain things but like now I like as I've grown up like there's just certain things I have to worry about more and it's even worse now and I don't want that for the future generations um I would also agree um as well as kind of people becoming desensitized um things 
kind of happen right after each other and people are just it's kind of like a cycle of people, you know, making a big deal about it and things are shown in the news. And even if advocacy and all this, you know, reaching out to kind of address the problems that's happening, it's just a constant cycle of making a big deal, covering it, and then things just disappear until another bad thing happens. And people are becoming desensitized that way and no change is really being made. It's mostly just people not necessarily complaining, but, you know, putting out the fact that these problems are still here and we still haven't done anything about it. How do you feel about the older generation? Do you think that they understand what you guys are going through right now and how it's a, really an emotional toll for you guys at such a young age? Um, I don't think they truly understand because, like, like this is, like, not as big of a deal. But, like, when they're like, oh, like, during my – like, when I was a kid, like, I didn't have these resources you have. But it's just such a different time. Like, they didn't have to go through the things that we go through. So it's very different and it's not a fair, like um, – what's the word? like Comparison? Yeah. So I just feel like they don't understand certain things about that. And it's like it's like really frustrating because like these are the things that affect our lives and our future, like especially with like older generations, like they are like they don't have to worry about certain things anymore that we do, like how they're growing up because they're done growing up, I guess, and like how their lives are going to be affected and like the way they learn and stuff. Yeah, yeah I certainly agree. Um... But it's also important to remember that they might have gone through their own, you know, problems and things like that. That they face things as well. It's just that their their opinions and specific things not definitely wrong. It's just like you know, it can be quite outdated because those things are not issues that are going on right now. Maybe they are going on right now, but not in the same way that they, they were facing them at the time. But it's also good to remember that you know, they the older generations in most most cases. I'm saying this happens the majority of the time they just want what's best for us and they're just trying their best to kind of um, provide us with the resources that they can provide us with and you know we gotta be grateful for that for sure you better advocate for your parents that was beautiful <laughs> so what do you guys feel at this point in time is the most important advocacy issue in school um so i personally went to a very like i would say liberal and very open high school so if you had something to talk about anyone was ready to listen whether it be a student a teacher or administration like they were very open about it and they were ready to hear you with whatever you had to talk about like there is just like certain issues that I feel like are I feel like this is like normal for any high school student but nothing like drastically like life-changing I feel like um, I would probably say um, it is important to discuss sexual health. You know, it may, it may make, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable because it's kind of, even to this day, it's kind of taboo kind of talking about it right now. And, um, you know, even at school, things like that should be kind of, you know, covered because, you know, something that might be talked about in school might make it seem that, you know, everybody might be different. And, you know, you might not feel comfortable with somebody else's, you know, actions or beliefs or things like that but you know you also got to support them because they're still people and you know even if they're much different than you it's important to kind of you know include them because you shouldn't just um put people aside just because they're much different than you are i think that's a great segue though because how do you guys feel about don't say gay bills i mean andrew you're in dc so you're in a blue state it's more liberal 
But Sasha, you're in Ohio and it's one of the red states. So there's some don't say gay legislation that's already been passed in your state. So how do you guys feel about it? So personally for me, I do want to be a teacher and that's very frustrating for me to not be able to talk about that in schools. Cause like you just like those are just things that need to be talked about. Like this shouldn't be such a like taboo thing where it needs to be legally like banned. Like it's just how people are and who they are and who they love and those things shouldn't be banned. That should just be life, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's because majority of the issue is that, you know, people are, are commonly uncomfortable because people might be different and that's what the majority of the problem is is because they are different they kind of use kind of a way to force them to conform to being what is called normal obviously that being straight and that shouldn't be something that is kind of a like a law or kind of you know place like the law of the place and um i I think it's quite unnecessary and if, if anything i think it should be more inclusive because maybe that maybe even in school environments that can be you know more helpful and making things more comfortable for students because if they're more comfortable in the space they're learning obviously they're going to do better in the things they have to do at school so what do you think the potential like mental health effects can be if you have someone you know who has two dads or two moms and they can't fully express themselves or their home lives in school which should be a safe space what do you think that can do to their mental health as a kid? I feel like it's definitely going to take a toll and like how they like see themselves and how they see their life and definitely like it's just going to make them uncomfortable as who they are or their family and that I don't feel like you should like anyone should be uncomfortable with who their family is. Um personally as a as a person with two fathers, um I kind of can, you know, I kind of share a feeling with that because um at first I was really uncomfortable discussing, you know, me having two, two dads. And I was, in a sense, I was embarrassed because I was forced to feel that way. And nowadays, you know, it's not a big deal as I used to think it was. Like, I'm kind of proud because, you know, it's different and it's not something that, you know, everybody can say. And, you know, obviously I, I love my two fathers and um, they just want to do what's best for me. And I'm really appreciative of this of what they do for me. And I think that people who think otherwise, you know, need to expand um, their opinions and be more open-minded about this kind of thing. That was a very politically correct way of saying to stop being so dense. That was nice. (laughs) Um, Another thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, though, is, you know, there's been a lot of gun violence in schools, you know, and schools are supposed to be safe spaces. So first, have you guys had any firsthand experience about schools being on lockdown or your school specifically being on lockdown? Are you having a a bomb scare or a gun threat? And what's that been like? So um, recently this past year, um, we've had four modified lockdowns where we're Class could go on, but you had to lock your your room was locked, and um, it was very scary because I had never actually been in one before, and so it was very new to me. Like it was my last year in high school, it was my last semester in high school, and it was very nerve wracking because I'm like, it was we didn't know what was going on. No one was telling us anything. My teacher wasn't even taking it seriously. She's like, oh, this is just a joke. It's not real. You guys don't need to do anything. While we're hearing other classrooms moving the desks, moving the chairs, like we can hear what's going on. And it was just, it was very scary. We're all texting each other and they're talking over the loudspeaker. And in some rooms you can't hear it because it's just hard to hear. And it was, it was very scary. I didn't 
know what was, just not knowing what was going on was the worst part of it. And it was actually a kid in my class. And so it was a senior class. And so we get senior class shirts and it, he did it twice. He threatened our school twice and he's on the back of our shirts for our senior class. And that it was just like, I don't, it's just like there, I just don't like it. It's just very uncomfortable. Um, I had, I don't know, I'd never met him before, but it was just like, I don't understand the thought process of how like older generations in the government don't see how this is an actual problem and that needs to be addressed. And like, they don't like talk to us enough about it to see that we're scared to go to school. Like this is the place where I'm supposed to be safe. I should not be scared every day to go to class. Like I remember the, that day, it was later in the day, the PA tur turned on and everyone in the hall stopped. And it was like the, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. It was just so terrifying. Yeah, and just to kind of add on, um... I live in DC, and it was like it was mostly bomb threats. Uh, we had a to we had a total of I think four, maybe maybe six, quite a lot actually. Um, and just to kind of you know add on to that, it's just that people were kind of desensitized, and you know they kind of didn't make a big deal about it, even though it was a real is issue going on. And it happened multiple times, and we had to you know obviously exit the building and go to the field, which is the football field right outside our school. We kind of stayed there, and they generally, you know, they had cops and professionals come in and check the school out to see if there's anything dangerous in the school. And, you know, as time passed, people just didn't really care. And that's, it is a problem because, you know, you never know if some, if a threat could actually be a threat, like a natural threat. You know, there might be a bomb in the school, nobody knows. And, you know, in regarding to gun laws, um, this should have been something that should have been addressed a long time ago. Um, there, personally, I don't think there's a necessity for you to be carrying around a gun. Um, I think you already have cops for that, those kind of things. And even if you're home, you do not need uh, a full automatic rifle. If At most, maybe a handgun, but most of the time they'll be even more than necessary. Um, I think it's this is a problem that should be like really heavily looked upon right now, especially after multiple of the school shootings that have gone on like recently. And you know, those kids' lives could have been saved if laws were put in place. It was really unnecessarily lost life. And this could have been changed a long time ago. No, I hear you guys. And I think in retrospect, like I'm 26, so I am younger. I'm technically still a millennial. Um, when I was in high school, we had two gun scares where we had to go on lockdown because there was a threat of someone shooting up our high school. But you guys have been through between four and six in a matter of a year. And that was my whole high school career. So just to see how much this has increased is definitely very alarming and traumatizing, as you were saying, you know, Sasha, to walk into school and you're supposed to feel safe. This is a place where you come to learn and to receive education and you're like on pins and needles the whole time. You know, that's not a conducive environment for you to do so. So with that being said, I'm going to lead into our last question. Being that you guys still need to go to school and you guys still need educations, what do you feel schools need to do at a local level to make sure you guys feel safe? And what does the government need to do to ensure your safety in school? Um, so at my school, we already have security guards, but I feel like at an elementary level, that doesn't need to happen. Like there should not be security guards with weapons in an elementary school. I feel like that's just 
ridiculous personally. But um, at high school level, I understand just because like kids can bring in drugs and stuff like that. So that's understandable. But um, with the gun laws, I just feel like there need to be better background checks. And I know that's like federal, not local. But um, Mm -hmm. I just think there need to be stricter laws and stuff like that. And my school does a really good job about like talking about mental health and like being very open about it. And there's always safe spaces you can go. But it just I feel like it's definitely perspective and based on from school to school. And I'm going to follow up with a question to you, Sasha. So you said you wanted to be a teacher. So how do you feel about becoming a teacher in the state that this country's in? Oh, it's definitely terrifying. I've, I, um, when it, um, the Texas shooting happened, I almost thought about changing my major just because I was genuinely so scared. And it, it wasn't like, it wasn't a about me situation. I was worried for the children. And I just know that toll, like I just, the toll that would take on you as a teacher, like losing a child, like a child from a school shooting that you is happening right in front of you that would just be awful and I can't even fathom it. Andrew how do you feel about what at the local level and at the uh, government level should be done around ensuring kids safety at school? Um, Mental health is quite important. Um, Majority of the cases where kids are you know kind of pushed to do things that they definitely regret later sometimes you know they take their own lives at the end of this incident. it's really important to you know, kind of not like lower the standards on how we look at mental health. Um, it, 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 mental health is something that a lot of people just kind of look at and you know recognize, but don't understand how really important it is. You know, because mental health can lead to a lot of it can lead to issues after issues after issues, and you know it just starts at that one specific point. Um, also, you know, like agreeing to what um, she said, um, it's not necessary to have, uh, you know, guards with, with the weapons and things like that in elementary school. But, you know, in high school, that might be different. Obviously, in elementary school, maybe. But um, it is important to, you know, keep maybe make things a little bit more stricter of what, you know, is allowed to be brought into school but still kind of keep some open-mindedness of, you know, maybe other things that people might see as dangerous, but that's not necessarily our, you know, that might be for religious reasons, you know, maybe different cultural background and things like that. And, you know, that also adds on to the clothing. Um, you know, obviously there's stereotypes and things like that, obviously, and those are quite common. And, you know, people tend to stereotype people in the way they dress or the way they talk or, you know, just how they look like. And that kind of tends to play a big role in how, you know, people see you as a threat or how much people see you much as a threat, you know, because um, obviously a person of color is seen as more dangerous than a, than a white person. And um, it's not necessarily something that, you know, should be a thing, but it just seems to be. Well, I have to say thank you to you both for coming on the podcast and expressing your thoughts and being so transparent. This was fantastic. I want to say congratulations for getting into college and congratulations to you for being a lover of science. That's a big deal. And um, I'm excited to hear and see what you guys are going to do in the future and how you're going to change this world. So thank you so much. Thank you. We got to talk about youth advocacy from your various children's perspectives. So now we want to bring you into the conversation and kind of talk about the inception 
behind this whole idea. So just go around the table and introduce yourself, please. My name is Tracy Jones, and I am with HF. I am the National Director of Mobilization Campaigns. And you're serving as my co-host today, too? I am. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so my name is Lila Gorin. I am the uh, Pharmacy Self-Representative in San Diego, and I also have um, participated in HF Advocacy a few years ago. And I'm Rebecca Strong. I am the Associate Director of Mobilization Campaigns. I'm John Hassel. I serve as National Director of Advocacy in Washington, D.C. And I am Simpson Huggins. I'm the Northern, Northern Affiliate Regional Finance Director. And so let's talk about youth advocacy and why we kind of decided to do this podcast. Tracy, you were kind of behind the idea or the brainchild for this. So talk a little about that. Well, uh, this work uh, was in conjunction with our um, VP of HR, Anita Castile, that we had some conversations about the importance of bringing young people on board uh, as it relates to advocacy to make sure that we are engaging them um, in, in, three, in a 360-degree way. If we want those folks to be a part of our team, um, advocacy is one of the three pillars of the work that we do. So we thought that this would be an interesting way to have people find out about that work, um, and especially from a young person's perspective. And Layla, I'm going to go to you because your daughter, Gabby, literally lit everybody's faces up when we did the Don't Say Gay protest for Disney. And she just spoke on camera so candidly. So that was the idea of like, we got to get Gabby involved, too. So how do you feel about having a child that's so um, driven to talk about advocacy? I'm very proud. I'm very proud of um, her ability to speak her mind in a very scary world of adults, right? And be able, have the ability to feel vulnerable, but still be able to speak her mind. So that, I'm very proud of her. And Rebecca, you have a daughter that's actually going into college, and Sasha's been around all of the age of advocacy madness since, what, the past 10 years at least? At least. Yeah, so how do you feel about her now going into this next phase, but still being so passionate about the world we lived in. Uh, like Layla said, I'm very, very proud of her. Um, she has always been very passionate about her beliefs and her opinions, and she's very, very protective of the work that I do. Um, and you know, she likes to tell me that you know, it's it. I I have to go to work with you. I I work there too. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that this is going having done this. Um, so many years, it's going to take her so much further in um, her post-secondary career. And I think she's going to take other people along with her because she can she can better explain, you know, well, this is how you do a protest. This is how you do this and get them to to really come out and, you know, they speak her language. So that'll be easier, I think. And now, John, you have a beautiful son that is also um, very outspoken. It was a pleasure talking with him. So how do you feel about, you know, all that he's doing and you bringing him into the advocacy space at AHF? Well, Andrew is an incredible kid. Um, and he organically started doing advocacy because, uh, you know, Tracy Jones is my mentor in parenting. And I said, <laughs> I, be I became a dad uh, short, just over five years ago. And how, how do you integrate your kid into 
advocacy and it just started bringing them along. We went to a protest against a drug company in, in Delaware. So we did a road trip there. We've, we've uh, tabled at Pride uh, uh, events. Um, and, you know, he sees what, what I do during COVID. He often came to work with me. Um, and AHF was really great about accommodating that situation. Um, and so he started to see, you know, day to day what I did for work. And now with Don't Say Gay, this is personal. Mm-hmm. He has a gay dad and he's a person of color. And he's starting to see that, that our family is targeted. And so once this issue becomes personal, it's, it's natural for Andrew to, to, to join in. Now, he doesn't do it on a day in and day out basis like I do. But when I say, let's get in the car and go do something, you know, there's, there's a little bit of pushback. Sometimes he'd rather play video games, but, you know, he does realize um, it's, it's for the good of the, of the whole world, not just ourselves. And Simpson, uh, you actually have three kids, yes. correct? And you said that you bring your kids to AIDS Task Force of Greater Cleveland a lot, so they see what you do day in and day out. So what's the feedback that they've given you? From my, my two boys that I bring with me all the time, it's just they're out there trying to help individuals out. So for me, I'm always behind the scenes. I make sure that there's enough money for everybody to do the advocacy. But for this, this is my first time going out on the advocacy event, so... It's kind of new to me, but I think it's important for me to show my son that you can do more than one thing. You can be behind the scenes, but also you can go up front and speak your mind. I think that's important because you're in finance, so you're literally handling all the money so we can do this advocacy work. So you're an integral part, you know, so he's getting both sides of it. So that's important for sure. Beautiful co-host. I, I, um, also feel like it, it's really important to remember, and we all do, that um, young people have a voice and they want to share it. Um, it is so important for us to remember that in this generation, what they see is, you know, very visual. They are much more engaged in politics, much more engaged in social issues. And I would love to know from the folks around the table, um, like, how do you, how do you navigate that your kids are so much more involved in political issues and asking questions that maybe you're not prepared to answer all the time, but you gotta. How do you guys handle that? I'll start with you, Leah. Well, sometimes it could be difficult, difficult as, as embarrassing this is to admit in public, right? I was not very familiar with the non-binary terms, the pronouns, right? So one day my daughter came home and say, mom, I told my classmates they need to address me as they, but if they call me she, it's also okay. And I was like, Gabby, are you kidding me? Like, all this education, there's no such thing as they, right? Because I was thinking on how you speak English, right? Because English is not first. Exactly. Uh, she was like, no, ma'am. I'm referring to non-binary. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, well, now she's teaching me instead of the other way around. So it's... It changes you. It changes you, and you have to be a really open mind and willing to be able to be there, available for them to listen. Because the last thing I want is for my kid to feel that they, she cannot come to mom and talk mm-hmm. about any issue. Right. Yes. Yeah, similarly, um, with Sash, as soon as the, um, the case about Roe, the leak happened, um, I told her, I said, I'm always your first phone call. 
Do not ever, there will be no questions. Do not ever be afraid to call me. There will be no questions. There will be no judgment. It will always be about how do we best handle the situation to keep you safest. I'm sending you to school with condoms. I'm sending you to school with plan B. I'm sending you to school with everything. And it's not just for you. It's for other other people who, you know, need it as well. So don't ever be afraid to call me if anybody needs help. So it's being very open, very honest with them from our perspective so that they feel comfortable and and making good on it too. It's not just lip service. I have to be, you know, very, very, okay, I said I'm not going to be upset. I can't be upset now. So she feels more comfortable coming to me. Well, I think listening to the kids is the most important thing. Um, So when you work in advocacy at HF, you're a new consumer of news. And so sometimes the news is is hard to listen to, especially the last, uh, I'd say the last six months. And um, I have to learn how to maybe uh, turn it off every now and then and let Andrew process it and ask me the questions, um, particularly the issues around violence, around race, uh, around the, you know, the hateful rhetoric that's circulating right now. So then, then I have to really pivot about finding the message of hope in all of this, because we can really send ourselves into a whirlpool of negativity. And I think what's great about advocacy is that we can take that energy and focus it on, you know, a path uh, and a, a path out of this, uh, out of this trouble that we're in as a country and as, as a world. So, I mean, that's, that's the value of interacting with someone who's 17 is, you know, seeing that the world as it's going to be when they become, you know, mature and adult. Um, and maybe I'm sounding too conceptual about all this, but it's really important, I think, to, to, to listen and then offer, you know, something to hope for, for their future. Mm-hmm. So in my household, my wife and I, we sit down and talk with our boys to make sure that they understand what they're seeing on TV is not absolutely the truth. So if they have any questions, by all means, we tell them to come talk to us regardless of the topic, situation. We want to make sure that they are comfortable with the situation around them, not just following in line with what they may hear at school or what they may hear in the neighborhood. So as a parent, we make sure that we work with our children to teach them right from wrong. So the next question I want to ask you guys, and this can really be a conversational piece here. You don't have to go in order to answer. But um, I asked you before, but how do you or what do you say to your kids when they say you guys don't understand what we're going through? And how do we bridge that gap from an advocacy perspective, understanding that we're kind of experiencing the same thing in terms of trauma of what's happening in this country? So anybody can start. I would say... It's, like, it's a generation gap, but with my son, if he says something that's going on in school, I have to look at it from his point of view, not just from him looking at it from my point of view. So I try to understand what he's going through on a daily basis. And then when I have to, if he has questions, and I can adjust my questions to his train of thought. Things have the way it was back when I was growing up. It's completely different. So you can't raise a child the way we were raised. So we have to adjust our mindset and the way how we read relate with individuals and as well as how they work with uh, other kids within their uh, world as well. 
uh, I'm going to speak for all of us and, and I apologize, but <laughs> I think we can all agree that um, we're also glad we grew up without social media. <laughs> Whereas this, this generation, they are, I mean, they're steeped in it. It, it is their life. Um, and I think um, for me, it's the, uh, you know, I've, I've never parented an 18 year old in 2022 before. I'm brand new at this. I'm like, so you, you got to give a little grace. Um, Cause I'm, I, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Just like, you don't know what it's like being 18 in 2022, except for what happens right now. So giving each other the space to mess up and just be okay with, you know, the other one not being perfect. Yeah. I, I think, um, we learned a lot in COVID. I mean, it was it was kind of a, a tough time, but I remember um, I couldn't use public transportation, so Andrew and I went to work together, and he would always sit in the back seat, and I'm navigating, you know, Washington D.C. crazy traffic, and my kid would open up in the back seat of the car. You know, I can't make eye contact with him, and he would start, uh, you know, initiating conversation, pretty serious subjects um, about what was going on in his life. And, um, and it was sort of a metaphor. I'm on the front seat, you know, just trying to get from point A to point B in really difficult traffic. And Andrew's in the back, you know, opening up about an issue that's really important to him, what's going on in his life or what happened in his past or what the future may look like. And uh, it was sort of a metaphor for us parents to say, okay, stop the busyness, you know, put on the brake pedal, maybe move over to the side of the road and listen to what, what you're talking about. Um, and I think, um, you know, there's this old expression, still waters run deep. Um, a lot of times the kids, it seems like, you know, everything is calm, but underneath that, their brain is working, you know, a million times, million miles a minute, whatever the, the right word is. And we've got to, to allow ourselves as you know, older individuals to, to hear what's going on in their heads, because, you know, that's, that's really how you're going to focus them on, on the future. I think for me, I was sharing with Tracy that I, I like that you're talking about they sit in the back seat, right? Because when we drive, it's a lot of time we have these interesting conversations. And we were talking, my daughter was bringing the issue of, of um, color, right, in, in our society. And she brought the case of um, George Floyd. And my son, being seven, and he's on the spectrum, so his brain is very white and black. There's not much of a gray area. And he told her, Gabby, don't worry about it. That was ages ago. And Gabby's like, no, that happened in 2020. And my son's voice started breaking, and he said, did that mean when I grow up, I'll have to suffer for being rough? Mm -hmm. How do you answer that? Yeah, it's a tough one. I think one of the majority of people don't understand how difficult it is to be the mother of a black kid, right? Because I know that cute little boy is going to grow up to be an adult, that at what point he's going to become a threat to someone else, right? So his little brain was thinking like, well, mom, could it be in Mexico that doesn't happen as much? Where can I go that that doesn't happen? Right. He's seven. Yeah. Wow. Oh. 
And, and that is the agreement. I, I mean, Anita and I talk often about the struggles of raising a black boy and the terror, the, yes. the abject terror of when he doesn't answer the phone. Sometimes we're bucket and I sit across from each other. And it's, it's three o'clock. He should be out of school. I've given him 15 minutes for him to get home and he doesn't answer. And the the absolute terror until and how important it is for us to give them space because they, they're going to be adults in the world at one point but the fear that somebody sees you know my almost foot child as a threat mm. because I know it's not so, you know I had a similar situation where um, Aiden is riding a threat He's horrible, horrible. And um, he was crossing the street, and it was a young girl driving, and she kind of cut him off, and he wheeled and fell over, and kind of scraped his knee. And the little town we live in, please come. And so, because he's like, "Mom, I didn't mean to," and you know, he's coming undone. And there's a policeman I can hear in the background saying, "Where did you say you live?" And I'm like, "Hey, stop talking to him." I was like, "Where are you?" I'm in the car, and I couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally get there, no lie, there were three police cars and an ambulance. It was like lights everywhere. And the cop walks up to me and he's like, um, where do you live? And I was like, you? Out of my way. I was like, where's my son? You know, and I'm like, are you okay? He's like, I'm fine. And the sergeant walks up. He's like, his handlebars were messed up. We fixed them for him. You want to throw this in the back of the car? He was wonderful. But this one cop is just out of control. And I remember telling Anita that I was like so upset because I know that you see him as a potential person for your jail cell. It's just going to be a matter of that. And my kid doesn't deserve that. So it's tough. It's tough. But we're going to love him through it. We're going to love him all through it. So on that note, (laughs) I specifically asked each one of your kids the question, do you have hope? And each one of them said yes, which I think was amazing to hear. So I'm asking you all, based on those responses, how do we move forward from an advocacy perspective? What do you guys think? How do we move forward? We need to empower the new generations that's where the hope relies. It's in those kids that are going to eventually take this position of leadership. So how we can cultivate those minds to understand that inclusivity is important and respecting each other and value your other human for being a human, right? Where you don't see, you no longer see the color of the skin or the accent. You see another human just like you. I would say have to take away the cell phones and iPads for a little bit. Teach them how to interact with individuals because they don't know. If you see some two kids together, they're texting text each other, even though they're about five years apart. But the thing is, they need to learn how to interact with each other so they can understand the differences between the two of them so they can be better people. I think we need to, to make space for them, for their voices, and for their ideas and their leadership. Um, it can't always be our way. We love to think that, you know, we know best and here, come do it this way because this is the way we've always done it. 
That's not always the case. Listening to them and how they think, you know, things could be done or should be done, I think it's valid. And it shows them that we're taking them seriously because other, otherwise it's, it's all for naught. Well, I'm glad to hear they have hope. I'm really happy to hear that. I really am. Um, um, and uh, I, I think what we have to do as parents, I mean, I, I, I think it's, um, it's almost uh, humbling to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, who said he, went to, he got to the top of the mountaintop, but he might not get there to the promised land with everybody. Um, you know, we're not going to live forever as adults. So we have to we have to sort of um, show them a, a potential future of a promised land uh, where uh, inclusivity is is a, a, an important value, where our racial differences um, become um, you know something that doesn't get in the way of of having a hopeful future for humanity. Um, you know we we talk about these things all the time as you know you know, father to son. And uh, he asked some really tough questions. Like one of the questions he says, white people ruin everything. <laughs> um, and what am I supposed to do with a question like that? <laughs> and so, so I have to say, well, you know, he goes, well, you're not like the rest of them, but, but you know, well, but I think that. So we kind of have, but there's a message in that, right? Okay. There is some, that, that's not just a, a joke he's trying to, to play on. There's sort of, so what do we as adults do with that going forward? And I, you know, um, I think it's great that, you know, work for an organization that we can talk about these things. Um, every other, every Thursday, I run a call for AHF to talk about advocacy with Tracy. Tracy and I work together on that call. And I do it from my dining room and Andrew's listening, <laughs> whether I know it or not, because it's on the Zoom and, you know, all of that, all that goes with that. And every now and then he'll come down and he'll have something to say about what we were talking about. I heard that, you know, so um, it's really great. And that, that provides the, the icebreaker, if you will, for me to, to listen to what he has reason to hope for. I think he is hopeful about his future because he wants to prove to his family, to me, and to his community that he can make a difference in the world. And I think that's what's driving that, that hope is that I can do anything I want. And that's what I've been trying to, you know, make sure he understands that I'm here, whatever happens, just like you said, I'm always going to be there. I've got your back. You always have a home. I will be your dad till there's uh, no more breath in my body. So no one's going to walk away from you as far as I'm concerned. But his hope, I think, is driven by what he, what, by the potential that he, he knows he has. So for me, um, I, I try to instill probably too much that, you know, you have to fight for hope. Like, you know, too much, too much is given, much is expected. If you want Roe overturned, if you want don't say gay to go away, if you want the ability to, to be able to walk through any door that you want, advocacy says you must fight. You cannot walk away, you cannot turn away, and you have to be in a situation where you bring others along. So the hope for my son for me is rooted in raising your voice at every turn. 
And on that note, I don't think there's a better way to end. So thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time today. This was beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please subscribe, share it with your friends, like, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow us on Instagram at After Hours and see you next time.